Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we're going to review the extraordinary events of the past week at Ireland's biggest stockbroker, Davy. Last week the Central Bank of Ireland hit the firm with a record 4.1 million euro fine for market rules breaches on a bond deal dating back to 2014. This was the trigger for a major backlash against Davy, leading to the departure of a number of senior executives, including its CEO, Brian McKernan. It also resulted in the NTMA moving to exclude Davy from future bond auctions on behalf of the state. This in turn resulted in Davy closing its bond desk and making some staff redundant. In addition, Davy has committed to hiring an external firm to conduct an independent review of events. Now, regular listeners to this podcast will know that Davy has been a sponsor of Inside Business. We offered the firm the chance to put forward a representative for today's show, but nobody was available to participate. Joining me on the line is Joe Brennan, markets correspondent of the Irish Times, the man who's been leading our coverage of this Davy story, and Neve Brennan, the Michael McCormick Professor of Management at UCD and an expert on corporate governance. And I should say that Joe and Neve are not related. Now, Joe, for the benefit of listeners, can you just recap what has happened at Davy over the past nine days? Yeah, so look, it all emerged, um, certainly clarity around the issue emerged Tuesday of last week when the central bank announced that it um, had fined Davy stockbrokers and, and reprimanded us strongly for, for breaches of market regulations, MIFID regulations. They fined them uh, 4.1 million euros. A lot of details of the case were in the, the statement, but it didn't refer s- specifically to what the case was. But it was clear to anyone that had been following certain uh, legal cases going back to t- 2015, what to refer to. And, and, and the background here is that a, a developer, a Northern Ireland developer, uh, Patrick Carney, um, who people may remember was a member of the so-called uh, Maple 10, who was uh, given funds by Anglo back in 2008 to buy shares in Anglo at a time when uh, the, the share price is under pressure also received money from Anglo after that deal to buy junior bonds, uh, subordinated bonds in, in Anglo Irish Bank. And they would have had a power value of 27 million euros. Now, like the equity in the banks, which collapsed in the, in the wake of the, or during the financial crisis, also the, the, the next target uh, was the junior bonds. Uh, and certainly they were falling uh, quite dramatically during the financial crisis as well. So his loans ended up being taken over as part of the whole liquid of Anglo ended up being taken over by a subsidiary or an affiliate of the US a distressed debt company called Caraval. And he contacted at one stage, he wanted to, to see how he could, you know, restructure his debt or take off, take out some of his debt. Um, so he approached a company called Lebrun Capital, which co-founder of that was Tom Brown, who um, was also a, a former executive in Anglo-Irish Bank. And at some stage, uh, this all came out in various court documents, at some stage, Tony O'Connor, who was a fixed income or a bond specialist in Davy Stockbrokers, came on board and was part of the whole advice as well. And the, the pitch was hatched that in order for him to be able to take out the bonds, he had to discharge the debt that was owed to the Carval unit that was uh, secured against those bonds. And on the other side, Tony O'Connor approached colleagues in Davy Stockbrokers with a deal that basically an unsecured loan of about 2.3 million will be given to 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 uh to Carney to pay off the loans against those bonds with Carval which in turn would give him the actual bonds to sell and on the other side you had basically what emerged and what became clear in the central bank investigation was that a number of senior Davy executives and others as well were on the other side of the trade 
And the central bank found that Davy didn't uh, let Carly be known. Didn't let it be known to Carly that they were the buyer on the other side. And more importantly, um, they went around their own compliance team. Didn't uh, show the compliance team that this deal was going through. Sure, and that's triggered, I suppose, a series of events over those uh, past nine days, which has led to the NTMA excluding Davy from its bond auctions on behalf of the state. Davy closing its bond desk, some um, staff being made redundant, etc. We've seen a change in the executive leadership of Davy, and we're now uh, awaiting the appointment of an external person or firm to conduct an independent review on behalf of the board of Davy. Yeah. So the, the the move on 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 the the, bond, the move in the bond desk was was it, it came as a result of the, the pressure uh, that was coming on the NTMA, which uh, recognises Davy as the only Irish-owned uh, primary dealer in, in in government bonds. Now there were a number of about, there were fourteen others overseas uh, uh, houses owned houses that are primary dealers in government bonds as well. But that became the focal point because it was doing government business. And on Thursday we have a bond auction. Um, what would be an ordinary kind of regular run-of-the-mill bond auction of a 1.5 billion, uh, up to 1.5 billion of bonds being being sold, and the thought of during this crisis, the thought of Davy being on that deal, uh, that became a pretty difficult one to to allow that to go through. So the NTMA on Monday decided that they would withdraw Davy as a primary dealer in those bonds. That in itself kind of triggered a response from Davy itself. Davy decided to close down the bond desk. And I think the, the longer the whole crisis went on and the longer it took Davy to maybe move last week because it delayed putting out a, a statement itself. It was Saturday before we had uh, resignations at senior level. The longer that went on, probably the more dramatic the action had to be to try and wrap your arms around uh, the, the issue. So they decided on Monday to actually close down the, the bond desk. Sure. Neve Brennan, what's your take on what's happened at Davy and everything that's come out over the past week or so? Well, it's been fascinating to watch it play out. I think, as Joe has said, that the slowness uh, to act has been extremely damaging uh, to uh, the reputation of Davy. I think its brand has now become toxic. Um, so I don't think we'll see the Davy brand around for much longer. But from a corporate governance point of view, um, you can divide corporate governance mechanisms into two types. There's the uh, uh, less costly internal mechanisms at the top of which is the board of directors. But if the internal mechanisms don't work properly, you are then into extremely costly external corporate governance mechanisms. And this is where uh, this case has got to. So the external mechanisms are regulatory sanctions, and Davy has experienced that. And um, following the kind of reputational damage, using a metaphor, Davy is now a wounded animal in the jungle and is bleeding profusely. And wounded animals bleeding in the jungle attract predators. So this morning's front page story in the Irish Times, that's where it's got to. And that is called the market for corporate control. The predator is a takeover bidder. um, And we can see evidence that the... uh, Predators are queuing up to buy Davy on the cheap. Um, in relation to the brand, which I consider to be uh, have become toxic, a bit like the Anglo-Irish brand, um, the brand value is eroded 
So I don't think the shareholders are going to get as much for the business as they might have if that brand was worth something. Um, so uh, predators are queuing up to buy Davy on the cheap. So ironically, the very people, uh, you know, big shareholders, part of the Davy 16, actually, this is going to be massively financially costly to them because the value of their business has dropped, I would have thought, so much uh, from the Davy 16 shenanigans. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, elements, I suppose, worth exploring there. Uh, the story you're referencing is Joe's story, along with Cliff Taylor, about Bank of Ireland making preliminary contact with Davy about the potential for a deal if Davy is so minded, I guess. Now, a lot of people will look at that and think, hold on a second, Bank of Ireland taking over Davy? Hold on, we just came out of a crash. Like Banks are pretty toxic themselves, even a decade or so on from the financial uh, crash. And we should say that Bank of Ireland has taken a lot of steps um, to repair its image and repair the damage uh, that was caused by the financial uh, crash in the meantime. There's a whole new management team in there and, you know, the bank is operating profitably and all of that. But nonetheless, in the eyes of the public, banks don't have a great reputation. And the idea of a bank taking over uh, a stockbroker like Davy, uh, which, as you say, is considered toxic, to the general public, that might li- that might seem very odd. And of course, last week, we had a deal whereby AIB took over Good Body Stockbrokers, the number two player in the market. Well, if Davy is taken over, it's going to be by an organisation that is in the financial services sector. Um, and many organisations in the financial services sector suffered reputational damage uh, during the banking crisis. Now, to be honest, I think you're being a bit unfair in calling out Bank of Ireland so much because it was, I my instinct is that Bank of Ireland was the best of the worst. Well, is that much of a claim though? Um well, Kieran, what are you suggesting as an alternative? Well, I don't know, but I, I, I'm just saying that for um, members of the general public, the idea that Bank of Ireland, let's say a bank, an Irish bank is going to take it over, it's not exactly going to give great comfort, I would have thought, to a, a lot of members of the public. Now, a lot of those members of the public might not have dealings with Davy as such. Um, they might be too small to have a dealing with Davy, so uh, maybe it doesn't matter. But well, may- maybe it'll be taken over by a non-Irish bank. Maybe a foreign bank will come in and try and take it over. But uh, the impression I have from what I've read in the newspaper is that the fit of the client base of Davy uh, with the client base of Bank of Ireland, there's a good fit there. That's the impression I have. Because I think the Bank of Ireland originally owned Davy and sold it in 2006 in the form of a management buyout. Interestingly, they sold it for, I think, $350 million, um, And I'm, it was speculated it was worth $400 million now before all of this uh, bad news. So um, the management team may end up selling it for the what it paid for it to start out with. Not exactly a great deal. Yeah, sure. Bank of Ireland um, did own a majority um, stake in the past, but they, the, the Davy guys, I think, um, did have a, a minority share. And just going back to your point, uh, Neve, about the Davy brand, do you think that come what may, the Davy the Davy brand is finished? Is that is that essentially what you're saying, or can can it be rescued? Well, I mean, when I watch, for example, some of the you know RTE news uh, around it, they're always standing in front of the Davy offices in Dawson Street, and in the background is the very distinctive logos of Davy, um, and you know the brand is just out there all the time, and I just think that. Uh, Davy have been very successful in getting over um, scandals in the past. And I think that also 
affected how they brazenly thought that they would get over this scandal just like they did before. But sometimes, you know, uh, you just can't keep on getting away with that. The other thing is that the appetite of the general public has changed. And I don't think the Davy boys quite understood the way in which it has shifted following the uh, financial crisis. People are still feeling the pain of that 10 years later. Um, so I, I don't have much hope for the brand. If it's taken over, the new owner, I would say, will bury the brand and use their own brand instead. Joe Brennan, let's talk about that Bank of Ireland story. I mentioned that yourself and Cliff Taylor broke the news this morning in the Irish Times that Bank of Ireland has made uh, early stage contact, I guess, with Davy. What, what's going on there? Yeah, look, this is very exploratory. It's happened in the last week at, at fairly high levels. And it's something you would expect as well. We're seeing just even within the system, if you look within the system, if you look at um, Ulster Bank closing, looking to, to wind down over the coming years, and we see other so-called pillar banks step forward. Bank of Ireland sees this as a, as a potential opportunity as well. I mean, it, it would be foolish not to look at this as an opportunity. I and mean, we've seen with a good body and NAIB an element of uh, the old bands getting back together again. So we could see an element of this with Bank of Ireland and Davy. I suppose with AIB and Good Bodies uh, and similarly to, with um, with uh, Davy and Bank of Ireland back in the day when both were on their ownership of, of banks, the, the stockbroking elements of those were run as almost independent uh, partnerships within a bank. Uh, they were very much their own independent fiefdoms. Uh, certainly with the AIB deal, uh, planned deal with Good Bodies, AIB really wants to bring good bodies much more into the fold of AIB and have much more of a say in, in, in where AIB, where, where good bodies is going. I imagine if, if, if Bank of Ireland were to do something similar, the last time around, while it owned 90% of the actual equity in Davies, it only had 49% of the voting rights. Uh, if this were to come about, I imagine that Bank of Ireland would have to want to have uh, voting control of of of, of Davy as well. The, the backdrop to this as well is that banks are struggling themselves. Uh, their normal uh, activities from from interest income is is being squeezed because you have ultra low interest rates and, and COVID nineteen and the response of central banks to that will mean that will only that will only go on for longer. And also you have muted loan demand uh, from consumers as well. So banks, because they're restricted in terms of the other fees that they can actually uh, charge versus, say, other European banks. They're looking for other areas to grow their income and deliver the kind of returns that would be acceptable to their own shareholders. And the idea of, of Bank of Ireland taking on Davy, and particularly its, its private clients and wealth management businesses, which by all accounts have been run very well in recent years. And, and also there's been a lot of tightening up. The irony of this is that Davy has spent a lot of time tightening up uh, the controls, the processes, the governance and everything around the, 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 the investment uh, activities for, for their own clients in, in recent years. It's had its issues in the past, um, but a lot of focus under Brian McKiernan uh, had been on that. And there is, a certain, there is a, a certain value to that. And certainly for a buyer, there would be a value to that as well. Yeah, of course, the irony is that the consortium of 16 Davy people, including a lot of the senior executives, the former CEO, Tony Gary, and the CEO just departed, Brian McKiernan, um, they got bypassed the compliance department uh, within Davy in relation to this transaction, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the, the, the structure was a, were there. There was a system under which their own private deals uh, were to be carried out on, which would automatically have triggered a notification to compliance. And they got around that. They, they, they sidestepped that, uh, absolutely. I think the other thing is, 
there are 700 employees of Davies um, and very hardworking employees. And I think a lot of them have felt very let down by the element at the top uh, when they would have been receiving all kinds of compliance pressure uh, to know your client, to really focus on the client. And then they see something like this, uh, where clearly um, the, the, the client was not something at the, the height of, the, of their thinking when they were going about doing this deal. Joe, in pounds and pence terms, what's the financial hit so far to Davy? They've lost the NTMA contract, for example. What's that worth to them annually? Yeah, so the as a primary dealer, they would participate in regular uh, bond auctions such as the one on, on Thursday. And there's very little of any money to be made out of that. The real money out of being a primary dealer is being on a panel to be picked for the larger kind of syndicated bonds where the NTMA would hire a number of uh, investment banks or securities firms to go about um, offering those bonds. And Davy would have participated and would have been one of the leads on three of the last four major syndicated bonds since early last year. So we estimate that fees of the order of about 4.5 million was made on that. Also being a private dealer, it gave them access to the order book for those and they would know what underlying investors were looking at looking at Irish debt. So they would have you know access to big institutions as a result of that. It was a calling card. Um, separately, you have the business where Davy is the, the corporate broker to uh, two thirds of the largest Irish uh, companies. And another stream of income would be a big stream of income for them would be acting as uh, the broker or the, 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 the agent in terms of uh, some of these corporates uh, raising money in the market or buying back their own shares. Um, obviously, the, the corporates themselves, very few of them are, are commenting publicly, but they are taking note and, and, and monitoring this situation fairly actively as well. One thing, Kieran, I was just uh, thinking is that, you know, the NTMA did what it did to avoid um, the reputational contagion effect that would spread from Davy and infect the NTMA. And when you ask the question about, you know, how much of a financial hit has Davy taken out of this? I don't know the answer to this question is, but what other big clients of Davy are saying we need to get a mile away from this organization so we avoid the reputational contagion effect of being associated with that Davy brand. Yeah, I suppose we learned that over time. Um, Neve, I wanted to ask you about financial regulation because we've heard a lot in recent years about how financial re- regulation has been tightened up both in Ireland and within the ECB framework. And yet we know from this transaction, OK, it was seven years ago, but it's not that long ago, uh, that the Davy senior executives essentially were able to bypass their own compliance department to transact this controversial bond deal. So what does it tell us about the state of financial regulation at the minute? Um, Is it good enough or can it ever be good enough? No, it can't. And by the way, let me just go back uh, about the internal control system that they sidestepped and bypassed. That risk is in every single organisation. And the risk is that the people at the top who have the power use their power to sidestep internal control systems. So no internal control system will ever be robust enough to stop that happening, nor will any regulation be robust enough to stop that happening. Um, Where where our regulations have kind of fallen down a bit in relation to the Davy story is that 
we have been extremely slow in bringing in this senior executive accountability regime. And that would make it easier for the central bank to hold individuals to account rather than organisations to account. Um, And that regime is already operating and has been for a number of years in in, in the UK. And I'm not really sure... Um, because the central bank has been talking about bringing in these regulations. I'm not really sure what's causing uh, it not to be on the statute books. Why Why has the government not moved this forward more quickly? Um, but even if you had that kind of regulation, it's not going to stop uh, Davy Mark II happening. Um, because the reason why these things happen, it's not because of regulation. It's not because of internal control systems. It's because of greedy people and who don't know how to behave properly. It's about low standards in high places in relation to culture and organisations and all the rest. And at the end of the day, these kind of people are inventive. They'll always find a way to get around regulation, to get around internal control systems. And by the way, going back to Joe's point about the unfortunate staff, and I really feel very sorry for them, you can take it that they are being tormented with regulations, compliance systems, the petty cashier is audited to death. You know, um, it's at the top where the key weakness is that can cause a material, a large problem for a business. Joe, what about this issue around the individuals? There were 16 people in the consortium. We know about the central bank's investigation of Davy and the fine and its conclusions and so forth. Will any action be taken against individuals either by the central bank or by any other authorities? Yeah, so um, uh, Daryl Rowland, the Director General of Financial Conduct with the Central Bank, was before the Oireachtas Finance Committee uh, on, on, on Tuesday, and, and she was asked that question any number of ways. She said the situation is a live situation. She wouldn't go there in terms of uh, individuals uh, and what might, might, might happen to them. Um, she also very interestingly um, said that during the course of the investigation, this is a long investigation and there was a lot of pushback, legal pushback from uh, Davies lawyers uh, against this. Uh, and that's why a good reason why it took so long, aside from the fact that there were volume, volumes and volumes of data that had to go, they had to go to, to do a very thorough uh, investigation into this because any let up by them or any slip by them uh, would have meant that the whole thing could have fallen apart. But she said that the uh, central bank uh, investigators uh, during that found no evidence of any suspicious criminal activity. And by law, the central bank is obliged to pass on any suspect, any suspect, suspected criminality uh, to both the uh, office of the director of corporate enforcement and also to one guard Shiakana. Now, she did say that as a result of the the publication of the uh, of the report last week. They have been in contact with with others and she expects to sit down with them as part of the normal kind of engagement with other authorities as well. We don't know um, whether there will be uh, individual uh, investigations into individuals. But at the moment, you have to find against the firm first before you can go after individuals. Under the SEER, the planned SEER legislation that Neve just mentioned there, you can go after the individual. So there, first, you can bypass going uh, going after the firm and finding uh, wrongdoing by the firm. You can go after the individual. And um, this has been going on for a few years. So the central bank have been calling for this for years. But you have 
The Minister for Finance, I remember in June of 2018, the Minister for Finance, uh, Pascal Donoghue, standing before reporters, talking about bringing heads of bill for this uh, senior executive accountability regime. It still hasn't happened. Now, my understanding is that a lot of the issues are uh, being taken up by the Attorney General. There are issues about uh, constitutionality around it, so they have to be very, very clear that the laws that they bring out cannot be tested. The constitutionality of them cannot be tested. Uh, Joe, uh, Bernard Byrne has been appointed as interim chief executive. This follows the departure of Brian McKiernan as chief executive of Davy last weekend. Now, he is a former CFO and CEO of AIB and he helped, uh, I think he won a lot of plaudits for helping to rebuild the bank post the crash. So, but he's got a heck of a job on his hands here, hasn't he? Yeah, look, uh, if anyone can wrap their arms around this, uh, Bernard Byrne can. Um, he's been through, he joined AIB at, at the worst possible time. He was part of an executive team that led the turnaround of, of AIB. The culture is very much in, very much at the helm of culture uh, reform at, at the bank and, and, and sorting out processes and making sure that people are heard um, and setting the tone from the top. Um, if, AI, if, 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 if Davey is to come out of this, uh, it will be down to Bernard Byrne actually um, uh, getting his arms around this, getting bringing in the appropriate outside advisors along with the board to go through this, like go through the issues that were raised by the central bank with a dose of salts and make sure there are no other issues as well. Because if there is to be a deal at some stage with someone else taking out the, the, the bank, sorry, taking out the brokerage, um, this process would have to be gone through because it'll come out in due diligence. Any other issues will come out in due diligence by any acquirer. Joe, I'm just wondering, uh, whether speculating whether Bernard Byrne was brought in in anticipation that um, they may need a sudden, suddenly need a new CEO. Look, there was that speculation, there has been that speculation over the last uh, few years, uh, haven't been able to kind of verify that one. But certainly he would be seen as a strong person to take over. But again, when he left the job in AIB, people were scratching their heads. The job that he was, he was given, the head of capital markets, replacing uh, Kieran McLaughlin, was probably the most influential job in Irish finance. These guys have access to and see all the big deals that are done in Ireland, the big corporate deals that are done in Ireland. That's the office. Uh, Kieran McLaughlin over the years would have had the ears of top executives, would have sat on boards of some Irish companies. The level of influence and the level of access that that job brings was enticing in itself. But obviously, having gone through the whole reform of AIB, it certainly helps to have someone like Bernard Byrne in there. The only other side of that is Bernard has been there for the last two years. We don't know what level of tension there was at Borg level in terms of how Davy and, and certainly Davy with a very strong executive team, let's put it that way, uh, in terms of the approach to this investigation in, in recent times. And I think that's something that Bernard has, may have to clarify for his own staff of nothing else. Yeah, sure. We should say that uh, Bernard Byrne, in relation to the transaction, has totally clean hands. He came in after that transaction had happened, um, so he has no he had no involvement uh, in that. Um, Just picking up uh, Joe's comment about the board and the relationship, for example, between Bernard Byrne and the board. Um, you know, the board acted quite slowly, unfortunately, and I think that has been a very, very expensive mistake. They should have uh, done what they did before the news came out about the fine. But 
looking at it from the board's point of view, the, the, the whole board structure was extremely difficult. It's a private company. Uh, big shareholders were on the board uh, and operating in the company. And the often, very, very often, boards have all the responsibility but much less authority to do what they want to do. And I would say that for the non-executive directors, their authority was significantly diminished by the influence of the big shareholders that were trying to do what they wanted as opposed to what directors should be doing, which is looking after the best interests of the company. So it, more interesting, that I think, uh, than the relationship between the board and Mr. Byrne, uh, the current CEO. More interesting is, I'd love to know about the dynamic between the large shareholders and the non-executive directors. That's where I think the problem lies in terms of the board not having the full authority uh, to do uh, the right thing. Well, that might be subject perhaps to this independent review that the board is going to commission. Joe, do we have any details of who's going to be appointed to look after that or when they're going to be appointed or how long it's going to take them to do their work? We understand that's imminent. I imagine we'll see that in the next few days. The real pressure is to bring in someone from outside. There is little value to be had in bringing in maybe any of the local professional services firms that you would ordinarily look to to carry out a review like that because of how ingrained and how many interconnections there are between Davy and, and, and various houses in Ireland. I think this needs to be uh, an independent, probably an overseas law firm or, or, or a, a consultancy firm with, with no links to Dublin to give people the, the chance to actually see this as being a, a really independent authoritative review because a lot would come down to what comes out of that review. Neve Brennan, finally, I'll give the final word to you. What lessons are to be learned from this Davy scandal of the past week or so for regulators, um, for people who are running boards at, at other financial services firms in Ireland, for the government, uh, etc.? There are too many lessons um, to answer your question, Kieran, in a short way. But again, in financial services, it does all keep coming back to one thing, and that is the culture in the organisation. And um, I just heard a quote recently, which is that if you know, if you only know one culture, one organisational culture, you you don't know culture. Um, and if you've only ever worked in the one organisation, that's the only culture you know. Um, in relation to uh, the Davy 16, you know, they needed to get out a bit more. Uh, they needed to find out about how things were done in other organisations. They had a culture which ultimately is what's brought them to where they are now. OK, Neve Brennan and Joe Brennan, thank you for joining Inside Business. OK, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Neve Brennan and Joe Brennan for their contributions. This week's show was produced by Declan Conlon. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care and stay safe.